Is it going to work? It's a very spiritual machine, searching. <laughs> Love that. Searching. Well, as that develops, and we'll see, they may need me to run down there and type in something. Um, first of all, good morning. Uh, how wonderful it is to be back with you guys today. What a, what a special uh, 24 hours, 36 hours, whatever it is that we're spending together. Absolutely amazing time. And wonderful to have my wife, Lynn, with us here today. Amen. Something was missing yesterday, and I got to tell all my stories. But I was pretty fair, I think, wasn't I? Other things will certainly emerge today. Okay. But, you know, take those with a grain of salt, all right? Um, first of all, uh, just some, some uh, as we continue to search, some quick, some quick thank yous. Uh, I want to, uh, first of all, thank, I, I don't know who the committee was that put this together, who thought months ahead to invite us to come down and be part of it, um, especially the Hammers and the Fuquays and the Neelands and other leaders and uh, the rest of the committee, uh, the people that have been singing for us today, the servants who've been doing ushering, the people that did registration, lots of servants to be thankful for, amen? And uh, just, just in a special way to, to give a special thanks to the Fuquays who really have been supportive friends for us over the years. Uh, Marty and Chris, I don't know, Lynn and Chris seem to have always had kind of a, uh, a friendship and a sister-to-sister -sister relationship, which is wonderful. Uh, Marty has always been a hero of mine, and I don't, I don't know if I've told you that or whether you knew that, but in the old days when uh, in Boston we were training for the ministry, Marty was way ahead of us. You know, he was already a campus minister at Northern Illinois, and Chris was in school, but then they got married and, and, uh, and got ready to go on the Chicago church planting, I think in 1982. <clears throat> we went early in those days when we were like eight years old. Okay. Uh, and in those days, we, we sort of had a, a first crop of ministers trained in Boston, including Douglas Arthur, who now leads the, the Boston Church, of course, uh, a brother named Doug Blau. Some of you know Doug. Some of you know Jim Blau, who went to India uh, in 1986. And uh, Jim Lloyd, who was another person being trained there, and, and a few others. And Steve Johnson, who's, who, of course, started, worked with the New York City Church in 1983, then is now in Portland right now in our group in the Northwest Family of Churches. And uh, I was in sort of that second crop, right? So even though we might have only been just a few years younger, those guys were just like gods to us. They were the first ones out. And I remember me and Rush Yule and Tom Lombardi and uh, a few other guys that we, we just, we worshiped at Marty's feet when he didn't even know it because he was out there in the field doing it. Uh, and the first church planting to go out from Boston to Chicago in 1982. And I uh, just want you to know how much I've always admired your conviction. easy to butter people up, but I always wanted to go to conferences where, where uh, Marty was speaking. And uh, the reason why is because Marty had this, this uh, incredible passion in teaching and preaching that just made my skin jump. And I thought, that's the kind of evangelist I want to be. I want to lay it out there on the mat. I want to be that kind of guy. And uh, I've just admired your faith and, and now your friendship. Now we're both old, which is awesome. 
And I just want to thank you for your support personally and in the ministry and in believing in us. That means a great deal to, to Scott and Lynn. Thanks, Marty and Chris. Amen. So are we ready to rock and roll? Woohoo! Okay. And uh, I, what I, I wanted to say, too, just a little bit about um, Palm Springs. Never been. And so I was trying to anticipate. My parents had been here a few times way back in the day, and they had said, boy, it's hot in the summer. Don't do that. Don't go in the summer. And this is my first, our first trip to Palm Springs. And, and as we drove out here, you can imagine, you know things as, as L.A. folk, but try to, try to uh, imagine you don't know it. And so you're coming out of Los Angeles, and you're going through the mountains, and you're getting increasingly into grimy gulch. Right? Dry, dead. The only sign of life is those, those uh, windmills. And you're thinking, making this stuff out in the desert, how can that, how can that really happen? And, of course, then uh, last night we got in, and then on our floor, you, they've got all those windows as you walk down the halls. And I was looking out over the lagoon and the mountains and the palm trees and the greens of the golf course, and, and I thought, this looks just like Hawaii. I mean, this, they've just transplanted Hawaii. How did they do it? And it just shows what a little bit of water will do. Just a little bit of water. And, and in, in the same way, I, I think that's all we're doing at these times. You know, sometimes we come to these events thinking we're going to have the turnaround of turnarounds. We're going to have the miracle of miracles, wonder of wonders, and nothing will ever be the same. And I usually find that that's not the case, that actually in order for us to make changes in our lives, it's developmental. It takes time, and it takes repetition over time. I will say that times like this can change our trajectory. You know, that over time, you really will be moving in a different direction. And that's my hope for you, is that this has added a page to your life, a little bit of water where something new can flourish, change our trajectory a little bit on how we're communicating and how we're being together. And uh, just to kind of hold on to it a little bit, I'd love to ask real quick, um, does anything, is there anything that you'll take away, you know, if we stopped right now? Is there anybody, do you have like a word or a couple of words you think, wow, this is a takeaway for me? I'd love to kind of know what you got from yesterday. Yeah. Okay, listen to the message. Kind of, we talked about the emotional truth, right? Listen to the power of the emotional truth, the message, not just the words. That's awesome. We're in the communication context over here. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes. For, if anybody wasn't here yesterday, that is not a primer on sex. No, no, no. But that 20 minutes that sometimes we need to cool off, it's neurologically true. Got a little bit of, of, of neuro, neurology in there. Yes. Respect the differences. We spent a great deal of time. Sorry? Embrace the differences, right? Instead of this idea that somehow we've got to become the same, and if we're both in the image of Christ, then we'll be these clones of each other. Really respecting and appreciating the differences. We spent a great deal of time on that. Yes. Piazza. Piazza. Enough said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you got to slow it down and slice it thin. It's kind of how I like to talk about it. Slow it down, slice it thin, and, and you'll get a little bit better. Maybe just one more, and then we're going to move on. Uh, 
Awesome, right? One plus one equals three. We keep, we keep developing individually, but we bring that to the relationship and the relationship grows. We saw a little bit of that even today in the communion. We communed with Christ in a special way again today. In a sense, we were one, but we're not one. We're different. We'll bring other differences again next week at communion, and we have a special communion with Christ. It's a, it's a very good way to think about how development happens in our lives. Okay, let, let's move on then to kind of part three today, and we're going to talk about... I, I skipped over this yesterday about this second part of creating safety. I talked really uh, briefly about getting out of your tank and not being a person who's defending all the time with armor, but trying to confess and locate where you are. We talked about inviting and understanding each other's vulnerability. I didn't really comment on this, but the idea of attending instead of fixing. We try to fix each other as opposed to friends who know how to sit down over coffee and sort of attend each other. Aren't those usually your best friends? They're not trying to fix. They're like sitting there going, well, tell me more about that. And we know how to attend each other. And Lynn's got some, I think, some tremendous comments to make about how to create this sort of safety and, and locate yourself. Well, I just want to say thank you to you all for bearing with me yesterday. Um, I'm very happy to be here, feeling much better today. And thank you to the brother who made sure I got the Tamiflu. Very grateful for that. I think that's helping. Um, I love marriage retreats because I love being married. And so every time I get a chance to reflect on our marriage, I really learn something. I grow. I deepen. And in particular, I feel like this area has been a tremendous area of growth for me over the last decade where, as I referred to yesterday, our lives and our marriage has been tremendously challenged. And we just go through challenging times at times, and you just got to accept that. My M.O. when things get tough is to put my head down and plow forward. There is some strength in that. But there can also be some tremendous weaknesses because you're missing what's really going on inside. And I feel like over the last decade where we've had to confront Problems. I don't know how much Scott shared yesterday about the decade, but it began with the death of a parent, went to um, challenges in our job situation. Then I got cancer, two teens, he was in school, I was in school. It just, it just felt like everything was hitting us. And my MO to keep plowing through doesn't get you closer to one another. And so to address this, um, the one thing that I've really had to learn in creating this safety is, first of all, I have to do the work to locate myself. I have to find me. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? How do these challenges affect me rather than just reacting? Now, my favorite thing since we've been married for almost 30 years is if there's a problem, blame Scott. <laughs> It's just sort of my natural reaction. If there's a problem, there must be someone to blame, and he's the closest, so blame Scott. Now, that doesn't really... Oh, that really resonated, didn't it? Everybody's like, yeah. But that doesn't really draw you close. Do you know what I mean? That kind of blame doesn't really draw you close. And so I've had to learn to speak the truth about myself. Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love. 
A lot of times we use that scripture to say, well, now I am going to tell you the truth about you. I have figured you out, and I'm going to speak the truth as lovingly as I can, and you're going to love it because I use that scripture. Well, it doesn't usually go that way. But to speak the truth about what I'm experiencing is okay when there's no blame in it. This is just what I am experiencing. And I can speak the truth about me in love, and that is heard. When I speak the truth about my spouse in blame, that doesn't go so well. But to speak the truth in love about what I'm experiencing, Scott referred to what hit me a while ago about it's only hurt and hungry animals that attack. So it's my responsibility to figure out what's my hurt? What's my need? What am I hungering for? I've got to locate myself. And um, he shared the story about the wine. That seems to have really resonated. And when he left, I knew what he'd gone to do. I thought, oh, right, yeah. Now he's going to make, he's trying to heap blame upon me. He's going to make me feel bad for complaining by going to buy wine and make me feel bad. I refused to feel bad. But what it did is it made me realize why did I react? What was going on? There's something much bigger than a stupid glass of wine. What is the big picture? And the big picture for me was all about loss, and I didn't feel in control of anything. And when he could come in and I could talk about, I feel loss, I feel a lack of control, it, I don't care about the other, then we were bonded. When I could locate myself and be real about what I was feeling with no blame. So we actually had another conversation last week, and Scott kept saying, Lynn, tell me what you are thinking. And I came out with, well, Scott, when you blah, 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 I feel blah, 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 blah. He said, can you leave me out of it? <laughs> I said, well, I feel this when you that. I just tried changing the sentence. And he said, can you leave me out of it? And I'm like, I want to. I don't know how. I'm really trying. And it was this patient but exhausting, exhausting communication. But I made a breakthrough because I could say, I need to be considered. I know you want to consider me. I believe you want to consider my needs. I have a need to be considered. See, and that was very different than, well, when you just do X, Y, and Z, I don't feel very considered. But for me to say, I know you want to consider me. Here's my need. I need to be valued. I need to be considered. There was no blame. It was a need. I was locating myself. Um, Philippians 2. We often use this, um, I guess, in reference to studies. Philippians 2. In your humility, consider others better than yourselves. I think no better place is more appropriate for that scripture than in our marriage. That if we can both consider the other better than ourselves. And that doesn't mean, I think women a lot of time quickly go to a put-down place and then react out of that feeling of either taking it on personally or feeling put down. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just, I want to know you. You are sacred. 
One of my favorite philosophers in communication that I've studied is a German philosopher named Martin Buber. And he believed in the I-thou sacred relationships and communication. That there should be a sacredness about communicating with the other. Nowhere should that be more demonstrated, more clear, more practiced than in our marriage relationship. And I know I can be the first one to assume my spouse gets me, to assume it's okay to say something a certain way. And that doesn't create safety in the relationship. So to respect one another. And finally, in creating this safety, I know the area that I have had to grow the most in, in creating the dialogue that brings that safety, is in listening. James 1.19, be quick to listen. My MO is to be quick to get a zinger in. My MO is hit before you get hit. And that's just not what the Bible says, is it? But be quick to listen. And I think that when I really can almost step back outside of what's going on and see this in the relationship, in the we, it really helps me be an advocate for the we. I'm not advocating for myself. I'm advocating for the closeness that I know we both want. As Lynn was describing this hit before you get hit, I had this visual of, of President Bush, that time where the Iraq guy was throwing shoes at him. <laughs> he was like... That's fantastic, and, and I think really adds some, some real uh, texture and depth to what we're talking about, and, and thankful for Lynn's perspective on this. We're going to um, switch gears here a little bit to, to finish out today with just a, really a couple of, couple of slides. <gasps> there we go. And talk about this part three piece, just you and me, okay? Because we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, you plus, from you and me to we, you plus me equals we. We've talked about the language of we. And this last part is an emphasis on just you and me. The slide obviously got a little, uh, that probably every spouse would enjoy it if it just said just you. <laughs> That's the dream of every spouse. Like, yeah. But it actually should say just you and me. It's just kind of the, uh, the way we did the, the slide projector thingy. So just you and me. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Just you and me. Okay. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, let's, let, we've probably read this at every married retreat since the Lord was here. But let's, let's take a look at that again. And we'll look at it just a little bit differently this time, maybe. Maybe you've looked at it this way before yourself, but it's different for me. Genesis, chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. <clears throat> then the Lord God, well, I should back up a little bit because of this connection piece. Let's see. Yeah, verse 18, and then we'll skip down. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Just as a sidebar, it's striking to me that one could argue that man had been alone with God all this time, alone with God. And yet God said it is not good for man to be alone. 
Now, maybe I'm just speculating. Maybe the Lord will correct me and say, you had that completely wrong. But it almost sounds like he's saying it's not even good for man to be just, just he and I. He needs somebody like him in this plane, and I'm going to make a helper. And, and the Bible goes on to describe how he did this. Verse 21, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife are both naked, and they felt no shame. Amen. We know that being alone is not good, and that alone we will be insecure that we need the connection we've been talking about this weekend. We, we, we think about marriage as supplying maybe a lot of different things, and different uh, experts will tell you that marriage is about blank. They'll say, well, uh, if you're, a, if you're a, um, a confused person like Sigmund Freud was, he would say that really marriage is just all about sex and sexual ideas from childhood and then fulfilled in adulthood. He would have a fixation on sex. Wrong, although sex is awesome. Uh, someone like B.F. Skinner would have said that uh, relationships are really just all about exchanges, kind of exchange theory. And that's why I'm a little dubious sometimes when we talk about the emotional bank account. There's some truth in that, but not all truth in that, so be careful. Where you start getting into a marriage that's just about exchanges, it's a little bit of a, believe it or not, sort of an emotional business thing going on. So, so be careful about that. Skinner was thinking about conditioning and exchanges. Men have a tendency to think that relationship is all about reason. We talked about this yesterday. Be reasonable. Honey, be reasonable. Women tend to think it's all about romance. Also part of the truth, but not the whole thing. I think God has told us in a more basic way, it's just not good to be alone. We need connection. We need non-aloneness. We need to be with someone. That is what we need, and that our marriage relationship is mostly about making and maintaining and recreating connection when we've lost it. And, of course, we've been talking about ways to do this. What I would like for us to, to emphasize in this, this last vignette is that this connection is meant to be for two and not for, I can't see from the speaker, does it say six? Yeah, and, and of course it depends on whether you were in single parent families or whatever, but if you were in a traditional nuclear family, then you'd have mom and dad on this side, mom and dad on this side, and then the two people getting married. Very easy to have six people in the household psychologically, right? Marriage is for two, the connection is for two, it is not for six. The Bible says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. It's where we get sort of the famous phrase in English of leave and cleave, right? And so a question that, that we have for you is, have we really left and cleft? <laughs> Did we leave and cleave? I'm remembering when we got married, I had sort of this, this um, it was, a, of course, a beautiful day. Everything about it was wonderful, but I remember Lynn's father bringing her up the aisle. And uh, when Kip asked, uh, who gives this woman to be married to this man? He read this poem that said, uh, her mother and I, we blah, 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 and at the end, we cannot give, we only share. I was concerned about that. But in fact... Lynn did a great job of leave and cleave, and I appreciate that. I, you know, parents are like this. My mom 
God bless her, uh, 80 some odd years old now in, in uh, northern Virginia, living with my brother and his wife. And, and when I do call, I'm not one of those sons that's awesome at calling a lot. But when I call mom, we talk about all kinds of things. And mom will always say at the end, boy, you guys sure do live a long ways in Seattle. It would be so great if you lived here. She used to say that when I lived in Boston. And when I lived in Hong Kong, which is a little more understandable. Now I'm in Seattle, I'm on the same continent, and I'm still getting the same message. Mom, I'm 52 years old. I'm not living in northern Virginia. It ain't happening. But I know that phone call every Sunday is going to be, you guys are so far away. Parents and family members are somehow dying to be part of your marriage. I don't know what it is. Party communal instinct of, we want to be in your marriage. No, it's for two. Leave and cleave. And some of us have struggled with that. And, and even when we try to leave, something else that, that's a little interesting. Lynn, make sure you interrupt me here if I'm running past something. A question I have is, have you done that? And then, maybe even more important, what may have left with us? Maybe you did leave and cleave. I hope you did. Maybe you did. But sometimes things may leave with us. Let's talk about this. What do I mean? You come into the marriage with an 18-year-old script or more. Could be a 20-year script, a 22-year-old script, depending on how long you lived in your parents' basement. Okay? <laughs> you carry a long-term script. Now, Peter describes it in unflattering terms in 1 Peter chapter 1 about this empty way of life handed down by your forefathers. Empty or no, and I, get, I know why Peter's talking about that in that context, but we probably bring a lot of things to the marriage that we're unaware of. Empty or quasi-good, semi-good, pretty good. We're carrying stuff with us as a script that we are often really unaware of, and we're bringing that into the marriage. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it, it's a story that we have about things. I, you might use the term, it's our family rules. For example, about what? Well, what marriage roles should look like, despite our best uh, desire to, to work ourselves through Ephesians 5 a million times, you know, we're, we, we carry scripts about what marriage roles should be based on what we saw our mom and dad doing or not doing. We carry scripts about that. We carry scripts into our marriage about what parenting should look like. These, these are thick scripts. How conflict is managed. And, I, and I'm not saying that we don't, we, we're, we're not affected by God's word. We certainly are. But even as we read the scripture, okay, this is how conflict is resolved. We're, we're putting that on for the first time, second time, third time as disciples. We've been putting on this script about how conflict is managed for at least 18 years, watching those that raised us, okay? It's a thick script. Or what leadership should look like, right? What leadership and... Oh, my goodness, there's a topic. I was wondering if there was a subtle message in singing Trust and Obey today. But beware, because either spouse could try to sing that song, so watch out. Um, yeah, we, we have these scripts about this, and this may have left with us. We came into the marriage. We've been married for three weeks, six months, six years, whatever, that we bring stuff with us, and we ought to be aware of that, uh, of these scripts that we, we bring in with us. And, and Lynn and I will share a little bit about what some of those were for us. Well, our first big fight when we were dating it was actually at Christmas. I remember it vividly. It was... We were dating, not even engaged yet, and we got into this fight, and I said, well, you're not like my dad. And that was the fuel on the fire of that fight. And it's true. I had this image, though, of what 
that relationship that he would be like my father had been in our relationship. And I dare say a lot of us have, you know, how many men have said to their wives, well, you don't cook like my mother. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe she doesn't. Maybe her dad did all the cooking growing up and you don't cook like her dad. So these are, these are areas that we are being trained in for 18 years. And worse than that, we're giving them to our kids now too. I have to tell you one of the things that I was sure my son would know how to do. Now I grew up in the South in the 60s and 70s and I'm very, very grateful for the marriage that my parents had but there was a certain culture there that the girls did all the housework. I was asked as a 12-year-old to go fix my 14-year-old brother's lunch. So there was a very heavy expectation that women did all of the housework and served the men. And, and that's wonderful. I think that was a benefit to me to know how to serve. But I wanted to be sure my son knew how to serve. And so my son knows how to set the table, how to do the dishes, how to fold laundry. He did all of his own football laundry. I'm like, if you're playing football, I'm not touching it. <laughs> and that was to his benefit to learn how to serve too. But we come in with these scripts about, it's just, we're not even aware of it. But we have expectations. And when those two expectations don't match, there's a lot of working out that needs to be done. I'll tell you, just uh, for me, for example, I um, had ideas about division of labor. <laughs> and you're just not going to believe this. I mean, I, I had this idea, Scott and Lynn are working full-time in the ministry. I come home after a long day's work, and Lynn should be this domestic housewife that provides. And I was mystified that that wasn't happening or that she would have expectations of me. Now think about what I just said. Scott and Lynn are working full time in the ministry. But when Scott comes home from a long day's work, Lynn should have to, you know, I don't know what kind of Kool-Aid I was drinking. <laughs> but I had ideas about division of labor, which meant most of the domestic work was done by her. And my idea of domestic labor was, you know, take one of the waste baskets from you know, the bathroom and dump it into the main trash. What a man. Maybe fill the glasses with ice before, you know, these kinds of things. And so we had to work through this, and it took me many years of Lynn's patient pleading. You know, can, can you, I can't do it all. And the interesting thing was we would get into fights. To her point earlier, we would get into fights when she was really unhappy about it and just sort of coming at me with, you do, I do this, and you don't do that, and you don't do that, and that was bouncing off me like armor, right? But when she could finally just say, I'm completely overwhelmed. I need more help. I, I, if, it, if you can't do it, I need us to hire a houseboy or something. I mean, <laughs> and I slowly began to do more, but I had ideas <laughs> about division of labor. Now I can honestly say, I finally take all the garbage out. I take out the recycles correctly. I... <laughs> I clean up the kitchen every, almost every night. I clean up the kitchen and do all the dishes and help out and vacuum the rugs. And, you know, we were splitting this, right? Because we both have careers, right? Yay. 
I had other uh, scripts in, in my system, the idea that my stress is more important. We're both stressed out people, we're both bearing the stress of the day, but somehow me thinking that mine's more important. I had this hierarchy of stress. Not explicit, I would never put it in those terms, I would never say it that way until later looking back on it, but that's what was in my soul and that was driving my wife crazy. Uh, somehow my stress was more important. Uh, I had a script based on my family upbringing of, I call it preemptive fury to shut down dangerous arguments. So uh, as a kid growing up, and I, I want to give my parents the right credit. My parents, I think, actually did a great job with me and my brother. But there, there was always tension. My dad had a lot on him going on. He came back from the Vietnam War, went to work in the Pentagon. It was an unhappy experience for him. He brought that home every day, and he was always tense. So it was like walking on glass around him. And so I know I carried out of my family of origin this idea that conflict is dangerous. Con conflict is awful. It's dangerous. It could blow things up. It is to be avoided at all costs. And so as a consequence, when Lynn, who grew up in a, with a family script of, you just got to get it all out on the table. It's okay. Just say it. Get it out there. Hit each other with a frying pan, and then you'll forgive each other. You'll hug, and it'll be okay. You know, that was her family. Mine was, don't open that door. There could be Leviathan in there. So when, when she would, would then start saying these things, and I could feel an argument coming, I would get super angry to really shut down Lynn and shut down the argument. Does that make sense? So I think I was launching preemptive missiles without even being aware of what I was doing, but I would be furious in order to stop the conflict. Okay? I had to become aware of that. I don't, I don't think I became aware of that maybe until like five years ago, began seeing, holy smokes, what's going on inside of me there? So hopefully that helps some of you get ahead of the, the game on that if that's a struggle. But these are illustrations of the legacies that we carry with us. Some of us have got um, not just family of origin legacies, but we may have kingdom legacies. If we've been in the church for a while, we may have our own kingdom legacies about these things. What do marriage roles look like? What does parenting look like? How is conflict managed? What does leadership and submission look like? And without passing judgment on any particular way of thinking about those things, you may need to talk about that. Right? You may carry in these ideas that this is a biblical mandate, but maybe it hadn't been talked about. Well, but what does that really mean, and what does it look like for the two of us? It may not quite look the same as it does for another couple, right? People do leadership and submission differently, believe it or not. Those are big words. They're open to interpretation. Those are big words. Leadership, wow, that's a big word. Submission, whoa, that's a big topic. And couples will do that a little bit differently. Does that make sense? We're unified by the fact as disciples we value that. We look in the scripture and we go, unified values of it, but how it comes into play in our lives is going to vary from person to person. So that's, that's something for us to think about. Consequently, last slide, what's our script? What's our marriage script look like about these things? Lynn, make sure you, you, you tell me. Uncover the scripts that you've inherited. Find a way to have that discussion. You may need to have it many times. Or you may discover new things as the years, goes by, years go by. But have a time and a place where you can say, let's talk about that. Maybe you get out two legal pads or something and go into two different rooms and you just start writing down, what, what do I think I brought into this marriage and my attitude about this, 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 and this? So, you know, scribble it out a little bit. Think it over. Pray about it. Let your spouse do the same. Then come back together and compare those scripts. What an interesting conversation that will be. There will be things that line up. There will be things that are incredibly askew, Right? 
It's important to uncover these things that are hidden so that we can look at them and tweak them and change them and work on them. But you can't do it if it's just running around in your background and you're not aware of it. So use some kind of exercise to make what has been covert, overt, out in the open. Secondly, let, let's, um, let's keep our eye on this word preference. And I'm thinking of the scripture in Romans chapter 14, and it might be good for us to just take a look at that. Romans 14, 1, and, and if we had time, it's good to catch the context of chapters 13 and 14, but this, this statement that kind of captures the conflict, Paul writes to the church there, "...except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters." Now, that would be true if you were talking about someone whose faith is not weak as well. That just happened to be the context. But universally... Bible's telling us don't pass judgment on disputable matters. One of the things that, in my opinion, is kind of a legacy of the Enlightenment in Western culture that we have inherited in the United States is, is the same thing that gave birth to modern science. So we're grateful for that, or we wouldn't have light here right now like this or a sound system. But it is the idea that somehow we can get a hold of all knowledge, pin all of it down, figure all of it out, nail it down, tell everybody what it is and say, we're really on top of it. That, that's a legacy of the Enlightenment. Now, when it comes to not electrocuting myself on the microphone, I would like that attitude. When it comes to building a bridge over a river, I would like there to be perfectionism. That's awesome. But when it comes to things like on how I'm going to raise my son, how she and I are going to communicate, wow, that's a different universe. And there's a lot more room there for disputable matters and opinion and possibilities and preference. And I want us to be thinking about that. I think if you look at the pie of your life as a, as a pie chart, we have a tendency sometimes in our thinking in America to make disputable matters kind of like a piece like this, and then the rest of it is all settled and litigated, you know. I think it's the other way around. We're going to find that the stuff that's really specific and scripture and hardline and nailed down, that's going to look like this. There's going to be this big world of disputable matters, and that's going to give us some maneuverability in our marriages and in our relationships. Yeah, I think if you were to look at as many different people as there are, which is all of us in this room, and then we get married to one other person, there are many, many ways to do marriage. I think often we have, in, in good ways, I think because of the input and advice and openness that our marriages have had in the kingdom over the years, it is saved all of our marriages. But I think we need to add to that the flexibility that my marriage is not going to be just like the Hammers or the Neelands. And in our marriage, we need to figure out how we want to be godly and get along and love each other and grow. Um, my parents have been married for 62 years. And I'm really grateful that my mother for years has said to me, your husband comes first before your kids. And she said to me, even growing up, she would say, we were together long before you came along, and we will be together long after you leave. And so we 
our relationship is important. And if they were going away and I was unhappy that they were leaving me at home, she didn't feel bad about that. So if your kids were whining because you were here this weekend, you can just go home and tell them that you learned your marriage is the most important focal point in the family. But there will be a lot of different marriages. And one of the things that I just laugh, and see, my family is like that. We get everything out there, and we laugh about it, and there's nothing hidden. But my father is very strong, and he will, his attitude is, and we all pick up on it, is that it's John's way or the wrong way. <laughs> That's just what I grew up with. It was daddy's way or the wrong way. But I, I look at my mother, and she made a great marriage and stood up to that, and they have a great marriage, and they worked it out. Now, that may not be the way I want my marriage to be, and that's okay because, <laughs> because we have a unique marriage, but it's about preferences and all of us being happy. I thought she was going to say that was one of the things she wanted to keep from <laughs> Amen. And so all of this to say that we've got to uncover what's kind of worrying in the background but that we're not aware of. Secondly, get in touch with preference again. What do you prefer? And some of those preferences are going to change over time. It's okay. What do you really prefer in your marriage and your way of being? There's really room for that. What do you prefer? And then finally, document it. Document what you want. And I'll give you some examples. I'll give you some examples. Um, maybe sit down and do an exercise. For, uh, number, I'll give you just a few things here. Number one, maybe do an exercise, again, sort of with a couple of legal pads, and ask the question, what's a family rule that I bring into this marriage that I'd like to lose? What's a family rule that I brought from my parents that now that I can stand outside of it and look at it and go, wow, I don't really like that anymore. What's a family rule you'd like to lose? That's a good thing for you guys to talk about. And then a second one is, what's one preference that you'd like to put in its place? What would be a preference for how you are as a married couple to put in its place? Uh, a second thing that you could do is, is make sure you dedicate a specific time in your schedule to conversations that forge this. Because I find that, that when people get, come to a retreat like this and they have ideas about, okay, this is how we can grow, this is what we want to do, here's how we want to change, it's easily lost. You can kind of hold on to it for a day and then it easily dissipates into the air. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's ephemeral. And the way that you keep it alive is you start having conversations about it. You dedicate some time in your week to, let's talk more about what we want to lose and what we want to pick up. And have those conversations going to forge a new way of being for you as a couple. Have those, those steady conversations. Number three, you might try to, to write some letters if necessary. Uh, not to each other, but sort of like a, a letter to your family. Don't send it to them. <laughs> Don't email it to them and say, I wrote this really cool letter of ways that I'm breaking away from you at last. Don't do that. But it's just a letter for you. It's, I call it sort of a letter of declination where you decline to inherit those things that you may have brought into your marriage, okay? You're kind of saying, you know, I don't want that anymore. I'm declining to keep that inheritance piece. I'm leaving that somewhere else in my parents' marriage and not in my marriage. You may want to write a letter about that and read that every now and then. Does that make sense? Did you have something about that, Roman? I get to share about the book of love. And the book of love is something that Scott and I have that we started 
on uh, December 9th, 2006. And December 9th is our anniversary. And um, we started that one, and it was two days after I found out that I had cancer. And the two things that stand out in my mind about that are that um, we didn't go to church. We got dressed. It was a Sunday. And Scott said, we're not going to church. We're going to brunch. And I was like, is that okay? Is that right? Should we do that? And Scott, knowing how I am, said, I've already called Ron, and the elder has said that's probably a good thing for us to do when we've got to go out and talk about some threatening things in our lives. And so I remember that I was sort of ashamed that that was my reaction. And then we just had this marvelous brunch. And at the end of the brunch, Scott brought out this book that he had bought that um, is a beautiful bound leather red book, and he entitled it The Book of Love. And it's from a poem or a song, The Book of Love. Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. And um, so we now write several times a year in the book of love. Together we take it out and we write down our thoughts, our feelings, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our future, because we really want to be unified on those things. And in the song, it talks about the book of love is heavy. Is that what it says? And I think it's a lot of work. But it's, I cherish those times where we're writing what we really want. And I feel like it's a way for me to express myself in an intimate way that's not easy for me. And it's a way for me to know Scott in a way that's deep and intimate. And I think it's what God does for us in the Bible. That the Bible is the best book of love. But this is a way for us to have a book that's unique to us about what we want. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll close out this in just a moment with a prayer. But all of this to say document what you want and document the change. How are we doing that? We're doing it by thinking about what's going on. We're having these conversations to forge it. We're writing some things down. And lastly, we're telling some witnesses Tell some witnesses about what you're doing. And that begins with God, right? When you commit to the Lord your plans, your plans will succeed. And so you do that by praying together and you speak to God together. You're committing it to God as your witness as well as your power. But he is a witness, right? And do that with other disciples that you trust and have some foursomes where you're sharing some of these things across the table. When you tell witnesses what you're working on, it makes it strong and it makes it real. And you're really posting the change in your life. Amen. You guys have been an incredible uh, audience. You've worked so hard to, to process all this and hang in there with us. I really congratulate you. I want to re-recommend two of the books that I, actually three books that I would cite. One is the Holy Bible. <laughs> number one. Number two, I would get that book, Please Understand Me, about the, the Myers-Briggs and celebrating the differences. And the third one's called Hold Me Tight. Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson, Conversations uh, for Intimacy. And uh, thank you again to all the leaders that brought us. Uh, thank you for your love. Let, let's, uh, let's go to the Father in prayer for a moment, and then I'll turn the stage back over to the leaders here. Father, thank you for your healing, first of all, that Lynn could be here today and be up here with me. And uh, I know it's not the same without her. Uh, without having to go into Tom Cruise mode, Father, I believe we're better together, and I feel that today. Thank you 
Thank you so much that we can walk together and be a partnership uh, and be in love with each other and be a witness to this world of what partnership can do. Father, thank you for your word that uh, instructs us and informs us and inspires us and sends us in different directions to ask more questions and to wonder about how we can become more like you and to really plumb the depths of what relationship work is all about. Thank you, Father, today for these brothers and sisters that are doing really important work, and I pray that you'll help them capture some of it, not all of it, uh, but capture some of it for usefulness in their lives and to be able to, to document it the way that we've talked about here at the end. Thank you, Father, again for all the, the preparation, all the work that's gone into making the weekend possible. Father, thank you for all the great blessings that you give us, especially our spouses. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.